Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, here to help you find success in all areas of your life. The power is in your hands. Join our network for free at besteveryou.com. And now, here's Elizabeth. Hi, everybody. Sounds so fancy. It's just me here in Maine, <laughs> in my at-home studio for so many years now. And I think Frank Schaefer, author Frank Schaefer, best-selling author Frank Schaefer, can kind of relate to that. Uh, he's got this cool new book out, and we're going to be talking with him for the next hour or so. Um, his new book is called Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. And Frank, I couldn't be happier to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you. This is our this is round two. We did a, a podcast event with a co-host of yours, and now we're doing this radio. This is great. And you you live up the road from me because I'm in northern Massachusetts, and you're not too far not too far away. Yeah, Maine, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited as the world opens up to have you up here for maybe some book events or something. I will. I'm still working on. <laughs> I'm getting. I want to get you scheduled for things up here, but it doesn't seem like people are doing too much. So. It'll, it'll all work out, I'm sure. Ugh, frustrating. I know. You know, I was scheduled to do some live book events here in my area, and, you know, they all got canceled, and not because of me for once, uh, but just because of, you know, all <laughs> the stuff we're all going through with COVID. It just keeps being Zoom calls and phone-in mm-hmm. and all the rest of it, but that's the world we're in right now. So I'm very grateful, Elizabeth, that you would have me on so we could chat today and talk about the book, because books don't pop out of the out of the bushes and ask people to buy them they they have to be talked about by somebody and you're doing the talking so thank you they're hard to write aren't they and they're I I always say it's one thing to write a book it's a different thing to get people to know about your book and know you know and know what it's about know what you've written this time and so forth um yeah, I, I do want to, before we get started, I do want to direct people to your website, which is frankshafer.com. You spell Schaefer, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. The one thing that I would really like everyone to know is that he's here, he's approachable, he's real, he doesn't hide out, <laughs> and uh, doesn't act like, you know, some great famous author, you know, who can't talk to you or anything like that. He's super approachable. And so if you want to reach out to him, the best way is at frankshafer.com. And I also would love for everyone to go to HCI Books or Simon & Schuster, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you guys buy books, support those local bookstores. Um, his book is wonderful. Um, I have a copy here in my hands. Again, it's called Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. This is a this is a different book for you, isn't it, Frank? It's a totally... Yeah, you know... Yes, totally. Go ahead, finish your sentence. I didn't mean to well, break no, in. Well, no, it's just a, it's a, yeah, no, please break in. That's what I love, actually, just a conversation back and forth. It's it's a it's a total change for you, though. This is a, a conversation you want us to start having. Yeah, I mean, I write books that range from the novels I wrote back in the late 1980s, uh, like Portofino that was published in 1990. Saving Grandma's Hermat. Those are the books that gave me permission to be a quote-unquote serious penguin. Brought those out, and they did well uh, all over the world, and and um, were translated into many languages. And I was very fortunate because I was making very crappy third-rate Hollywood movies at the time that you never want to see. But um, <laughs> things like Wired to Kill, Booby Trap, uh, Headhunter, Rebel Storm, uh, Baby on Board. Uh, and so forth, and they 
it was frustrating because back in those days, I, I had left my evangelical fundamentalist background. My parents were very famous evangelical leaders, and I had kind of fled that, having been their nepotistic sidekick for about 10 years. I was really, it was the only world I knew. I, I didn't know how to do anything else. Unfortunately, while in the evangelical world, I had made some documentary films with my dad uh, and was able to cut a reel out of those and go to Hollywood and get an agent. But I never was able to land the scripts I really wanted to do. Either they were, either I didn't have the talent or I didn't, wasn't lucky enough, or maybe I was lucky to direct any movies at all. I guess that's a big deal if, if you haven't made any. But I wasn't getting the kind of scripts that, you know, were movies that I would ever pay to go see. These were sort of low-budget action thriller-type pictures and, and horror films, slasher films, et cetera, really the B-movie business. So Jeannie, my wife, um, and she and I, as of today, have been together about 52 years. So awesome. we were younger then, and she was saying, why don't you ever uh, write a script that, is about the stories you tell our children about growing up in Switzerland as the son of American fundamentalist missionaries and all your weird trips to Italy and the cross-cultural collisions that you describe and that, how strange it was and, and so on. And so I, I started writing a script that I thought would be a movie, and then I turned it into a novel, and that was Portofino, my first work of fiction. And um, Macmillan picked that up, and then Penguin did the paperback and on and on, and it got good reviews and did a lot of business. So 40 years or so, and here I am at uh, age 70, which I'll turn next August. I have five grandchildren and three grown children, and three of those little grandchildren live across the street. And I have been doing full-time child care for them, well, full-time until Nora went to school, but full-time child care for them for the last 13 years and canceling speaking events and so on, and not out of some desperate need. They have wonderful, loving parents, my son, my daughter-in-law, Becky, who's an administrator in a school, but really out of the pleasure of doing with them what I failed to do with my own children, where I was on the road six months a year, first in the, in the nepotistic sidekick business of being my dad's uh, sidekick, as it were, while he was out on the road as an evangelical speaker, and then in the movie business. And I would bring them as much as I could to all of these events, and their childhoods were a little bit chaotic, and they've all forgiven me since, and we have good relationships. But, you know, when you're away six months out of the year, some years, this is not parenthood as I understand it. And uh, so looking back, I was so grateful to get another bite at the apple in terms of reparenting myself, as it were, and really being the person that I would like to be seen as when it comes to caregiving and nurturing. And so when Becky and John needed someone to do caregiving, Jeannie and I said, look, we're, we're closing in on retirement age. We're not quite there. We're almost getting Social Security. This was back in the day. We'll tie ourselves over for four or five years until we can get Medicare and Social Security, and there's enough dribbling in from royalties on past books we can get by. We'll figure it out. Um, Frank will speak less because I do a lot of college speaking or did in the past before that. So I, I started keeping notes. Um, on the fall in love, have children part, I guess, which in this case was grandchildren, and soon realized that these were actually weirdly the happiest days of my life. And I'd grown up in the 60s when anybody over 30 was, you know, seen as too old to do anything useful or fun. Here I was, you know, <laughs> head, heading into my 70s saying, look, this is the best of all times. What's going on here? So, so then a, a kind of a second thread started, and this is about five years ago, besides 
talking about my grandchildren and the pleasure I got in being a male stay-at-home caregiver, uh, surprise, surprise, I began to also study, I guess you'd call the neuroscience and, and, and biology and evolutionary psychology of love. And there's huge studies, have been for the last 30 years, on what love actually is. It's not a feeling. It's as much of a real reality as a knee, you know, or a heart or a liver or a kidney. Love is real. It's chemical and, and hormone-based oxytocin and all these other things that show up in the blood and in our saliva and can be tested and brain scanned. And essentially, there's two kinds of people in this world, those who, who have a life that is shaped by love and the giving of care and the receiving of care, and then a very lonely bunch of people who just have never found that. And I'm not just talking about romantic love. I mean a, a life based on on the giving and receiving of care, the kind of thing that really means most of us. So I started studying that. That was the second thread in the book. And then the third thread came along when COVID hit a couple of years back. And all of a sudden, it was like some social experiment had taken place and everybody was being forced to do by a virus what I was calling for in the book, which was fall in love, have children, stay put, save the planet, be happy. Everybody was staying put. They didn't have a choice. There were no jet trails in the sky. The water was getting cleaner. Pollution levels dropped to the lowest in the last 60 years, temporarily, sadly. Um, but all kinds of young parents, for instance, were, and, and especially dads, were discovering that, you know, it, it's a whole different thing to be a hands-on parent at home all the time. And in fact, Fast forward to the present, a lot of them have done what I've talked about in the book, about 40% of males who are now being polled having stayed home for a while say they want to keep staying home. And one of the reasons is they like a closer relationship with their spouse or partner or child or whomever it may be, but they're beginning to live life more on a, on a basis of human connection. So that's kind of how the book happened, and it's different for me because it's obviously not a novel. And I've written memoirs in the past like Crazy for God about my journey out of the evangelical community and little books on issues of philosophy and belief coming from my faith background, a, a recent one called Why I'm an Atheist Who Believes in God, and, and then uh, books of that kind. And this one is different because this one is a cause. It is something I want to see turn into a thing because I feel genuine sorrow, uh, especially for the men I know who have basically eaten the wrapper and thrown away the candy, and it's career, 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 strive, 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 money, 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 define yourself by your job, you know, almost starts in kindergarten, we're going to go to a great preschool so you can go to a great kindergarten so you can get into terrific middle school and then high school, and that's so you can go to a good college, and then, oh, you're not done now, you've got to go get a master's degree or you won't get your career going, you want to have a child, but you're going to wait until you need in vitro fertilization because if you leave now, you're never going to make the partnership in this law firm, on and on and on. And at the end of the day, life has passed our generation by because we have, we have essentially honored career and defined ourselves by our jobs, forgetting that all career and all jobs are utterly pointless if they take away from the actual living of life. And their living of life, as far as I'm concerned, having been a father and grandfather and now having been studying this book and the science that went with it is really all about personal connection. So if what you're doing with your work, say commuting for two hours and a half and every each day in both directions yeah. or being away from home six months of the year like I was or, you know, waiting to have a relationship because somebody in college was stupid enough to tell you that, hey, don't fall in love in college and marry that guy because 
guess, you know, it won't, you need to get your career going first. All these crazy sorts of advice were given, this big lie that somehow we're defined by career, when after all, career is nothing more than a job, okay? And a job is just a job. It's not, you know, it's a nice way to fancy sort of dress things up. We need jobs, but um, we don't need to define our life by career. So that's where the book came from. And then, of course, after COVID now, we're all looking for a blueprint on what the new normal might be. People are quitting jobs en masse. They're renegotiating their contracts. They're insisting on staying home. They want higher pay in the blue collar and and kind of low pay work. And even at the higher end, they are wanting to redefine themselves less by the job and more by their connection. So the book's for anybody out who is dissatisfied with the balance between life and love and work and, and family. And it's not necessarily for pair-bonded people with kids like you and me. Uh, it's for everybody, and I've written it with a very broad sweep that I think would appeal equally to gay adoptive parents, single moms, men and women, men like my son who's 50 years old, Francis, who's a teacher, doesn't have kids, but sees himself as a parent to the students he teaches. You know, it's it's painted with a wide brush, but I think it it speaks to a very deep dissatisfaction running through our culture that shows up in all these studies of loneliness and all these other things where we're really becoming dysfunctional and disunited and everybody longs for more community and more connection and isn't quite sure how to get there. And I think I provided an answer in the book. I really do. I think that somebody who reads this book and heeds a little bit of what I'm saying or legislators who read the book and are inspired to make better laws to protect, for instance, parenthood as in paid paternity and maternity leave, which would be something we're long overdue to get. You know, <laughs> I, I'm hoping to contribute to all of that. So that's a real long answer, Elizabeth, way more than you great asked answer. for, but there you go. So there it's, a, go. it's a great answer. And, and I think, I, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why I love the book so much and, and love what you're saying and just am a fan of yours is because it's, it's near and dear to my heart too. And, um, you know, I've gone through this. I, I really have. I'm 52 years old now. I'm a mom of four boys. They're 20, 22, 24, and 26. And if you back that up into the 90s, it was really tough mm-hmm. for me to work full time and have babies at home without putting everybody in daycare. You know, it was a constant conundrum. Constant. It was like, yeah. how do we do this? How do you pay the bills? Have the house you want? Drive a car that works? put food on the table, you know, and I don't even know what order we were <laughs> in yeah. and do it all and travel and do this and that and another thing. And it was really tricky. And it ended for me. Um, and I don't know if you want to know my story or not, but for me, it was a divorce. It was a remarry. It was a stay at home completely for me, then work from home. Then, you know, it, there were a lot of changes. And um, my husband and I have been married tw- um, 24 years now, and um, yeah. we've both worked from home almost the entire time. We've had two jobs from home the entire time, making a stance. And it was, I think the one thing that's, that has always happened with that is you wanted to tell people about it, but you felt like you were like barking into the wind. So this book is so nice to see because we always felt so alone in our choice. Yeah, and I I totally resonate with that because Jeannie and I have been the same. We have been self-employed and 
And the advantage, of course, is huge. The disadvantage is, is you are on your own. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we look back and laugh and we say, how, how did we make it this far? You know, we, our philosophy is always, but keep pressing ahead until somebody stops you. And we've been stopped a few times, but yeah. we feel very fortunate because somehow, you know, if you ask me, how did you work it out as a writer? Some books are successful. Others are total failures. You do some speaking, you do this, you do that. Jeannie helped with a, run a small publishing company for a while. She went to the School of Fashion Design in Boston and did some, you know, design and creation in our house and made things and sewed, you know, everything from high-end stuff to people's curtains when we needed the money. I mean, you know, this has been a real ride. And I, you <laughs> yeah. know, my, uh, we were talking just the other day with my oldest grandchildren, Ben and Amanda, who are in their late 20s. These are my daughter's children, Jessica's children. Mm -hmm. And we were saying we honestly can't remember how we pieced things together some years, but we remember a few things like, for instance, I was making a movie in South Africa, and we took the kids with us because that year we couldn't pay for their school. So it was like, oh, well, just everybody take time off. It's going to be cheaper to bring you over there, and we get a free place to stay because we can't pay tuition this year. Um, you know, real up and down, crazy, self-employed, independent stuff. But the, the good part was that uh, we were sort of forced into the COVID lockdown, if you want to put it that weird way, before other people were. Yeah. So, of course, when it came along and we were, quote, stuck at home, I didn't feel stuck. I, the COVID summer, we were all doing the child care for the three little ones, was one of the best summers I've ever had. And that includes the fact that I'm very sad about the two friends I lost to COVID. I'm not belittling it in any way or trivializing it, but making our home and the barn next to my house into kind of Camp Schaefer for these wonderful little kids, you know, teaching Lucy, she kept the notebook and I gave her a, a cooking, cooking lesson every day. I'm a, I'm a good cook, if I may say so myself. I do all the cooking in our home. Huh. And she took notes and then Jack and Nora and I were rebuilding the barn and, and Jack, you, you know, was nine years old using power tools and Nora learned to pound a nail in straight and it was a fantastic summer. By the way, Nora, Nora's nail pounding last night went very well because we went over to the barn we were playing and she found a dead mouse. And she <laughs> said, we have, to, we have to give this mouse a, a funeral. And I said, okay, fine, because oh. we bury animals that we find dead animals. But I said, the ground's frozen. It's, it's been 20, 21 degrees last night. We're not going to be able to dig a hole. And she said, okay, fine, make it a coffin and we'll put it in the wood stove and we'll, 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 we'll um, burn it. So I said, okay, fine. So we, I got out the tools and I cut the wood out and we made a little coffin and she pounded the nails in. And then she sang a little sad song and made a little plaque that I nailed up on the barn wall to remember. She called this little mouse Georgia. And so we had a whole ceremony, but, you know, there she was pounding the nails in with, with great dexterity at age seven, be able to hit them you know, with a grown-up hammer, and I'm thinking, okay, the barn project paid off. She can, she can hit a nail, you know. So that's, that's, how, we, and that's how we compassion. roll. And can such sweet compassion. Oh, my God. Oh, no, she's great. No, and yeah. you should hear Nora's speech. I'm, I'm not kidding you. The wood stove in the barn is how I heat it. We, we made yeah. this little coffin for now, and before we put it in, she put it on the ground. She made a little speech, and she said, if there's any living mice here who can hear this, she announces in a loud voice, in case there's any mice, she says, I want you to know Georgia had a good life, and we're sorry she's gone, but she's in a better place. And then she nods to me, okay, now I can, can, can put, and this is a seven-year-old little girl, so, you know, we're, we're, we, people are so crazy, they say to me, 
oh, isn't it wonderful you do this for your grandchildren as if I'm doing some huge favor. And I look at them like, yeah, and it's wonderful that I like to eat three meals a day and have sex with my wife and look at a beautiful view. What are you talking about? This is the best stuff in my life. You know, this is no favor. I'm the one who, I mean, can you imagine missing out on a thing like that with a seven-year-old who wants to sing a little song to a dead mouse and make a speech in case there's any mice in the building who can hear? So sweet. I I can't imagine missing that. No, I, but I'm very much like that. I'm way slowed down. I'm intentionally slowed down um, in a world where it's just so fast paced. And I just am like that. Um, We have, we have um, a mouse that we feed blueberries to and a chipmunk that we feed a strawberry every day too. So I get you completely. And we have five animals. And and, yeah. Should they they pass away? Should they pass away? You can call Nora and she will come up and hold a very nice service for them and make up a song and sing them something and make a little speech to the other woodland creatures, whatever it requires. (laughs) She's going to write children's books, I bet. (laughs) That's a good children's book right there. Um, Well, she's a character because she was sick. She was sick the other day and I brought her, I came in the door and I said, look, Nora, I brought brought you a dozen roses. And she said, um, Hmm. Oh, thank you. And then she came inside and I said, so do you like your dozen roses? And she calls back from inside because now she's gone in for a minute. She says, well, 10, actually. She's counted them. (laughs) 10, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Did you like your dozen roses? And she calls over her shoulder, 10, actually. 10, actually. I don't know where to go with that one. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so everything you talk What'd you say? Yeah, future. I don't know future what, but Nora's cut cut a wide path out there. She's counting roses and correcting me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm coughing. I I think that everybody knows that. Um, well, maybe you don't, but yeah, I've had COVID all month, so and I'm vaccinated. And so if I cough, I'm so sorry, but um, I'm doing the best I can do here. This is my first show with all of them canceled in November, including Frank rescheduled a bunch of times, which I'm so sorry about. But um, yeah, we're just going to keep going here. Um, I you know oh, when you were know talking my, now I know why my book's not selling. What, where have you been? <laughs> Where have I been? Yeah, I don't know about that. But I mean, we're trying really did you, hard. Did you clear that with me? I mean, you know, if Nora's going to keep track of the roses, 10 actually, it's like, wait a minute. You didn't call me before. You you know, you, you didn't get permission to get sick. You had to, like, ah. do my book first. Oh, yeah. Just to, just to, that's, it's so bizarre to just, you know, you think you're vaccinated, so you're fine, and then to break through COVID, and it's kind of a little bit of a nasty uh, bug, and I'm so grateful. I wrote in my gratitude journal so many times. I'm grateful for the vaccine. I'm grateful for the vaccine. I'm grateful this isn't worse. You know, yeah, kind of to imagine so. how sick you would have been without it. Uh, I actually can picture it. Yeah, it's it's scary. And we've had family members so sick with COVID in the hospital for months, one of them. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's go back to your book for a minute. Because as you were talking um, and telling me all about your book, the one thing I really wanted to know was, what was the moment? for you where you decided to stay home and do more with your grandkids? Was there a pivotal moment where you had like a, an no, aha? No, it wasn't. It was like, it okay. was basically, you know, Jeannie and I have been married for 52 years. I got her pregnant when we were 17 and 18. We're, we're such an item now that basically I don't even know where there are any lines at all. There are no hmm. aha moments. It's just this slow evolution. And I don't know what sort of language you use on your radio show, but the way I put it in the book, is that having come out of an evangelical background where I was brought up in a home where men were supposed to boss women around and women are subservient to men, they're supposed to obey them. You know, my background basically positioned me as a young male 
And the way I describe it is that I was, I, I was raised to be an asshole by divine right. In other words, the Bible tells you you should lord it over women, discipline children, and so on. And because Jeannie stuck with me and was, became a kind of a therapist and a, a, a tough, beautiful, stubborn woman who would not walk out on this idiot but loved him instead. And as the years went by, my, you know, I, I, I read these books about how people negotiate home work, you know, doing the work in the house, who does the dishes and all this stuff. And maybe we were there earlier in our marriage, but I can honestly say hand on heart now that, you know, the thing that actually makes me happiest is making Jeannie happy. So if you say to me, you know, what is sex about? It's about the same reason I clean the kitchen. It's why I cook. It's, so how did I yeah. get into this? I got into this because Jeannie was helping with the childcare and I helped her out. And then it, I helped her out some more. Then I helped her out some more. And then I thought, damn it. You know, I should have been doing this with my kids 30, 40, 50 years ago. Wow, this is a second. Okay, well, I've got a speaking thing next week. You know what? I'm going to cancel. Yeah. I'll just look around because I'm – okay, so then I woke up about six months into this process, and it was, I'm really happy doing this. I, I, I find a lot of joy in it. No, it's not easy. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, Jeannie and I have some fights because we're both tired. We're not as young as we used to be. These are long days, but I wouldn't change a thing. And so the decision came – after the fact, it was kind of as if you had been in a shipwreck and were washed up on the shore of a desert island, and the first couple of days you're building bonfires and writing help in the sand, and after a while you're saying, gee, this is kind of nice. Maybe we'll just not light the fires for a while and, and stay here. And then after a year, you're saying, you know, I'm never moving. I should have lived here my whole life. And that's sort of the way it went. But it, it didn't start as a kind of a big declaration of help my daughter-in-law have a career. It, it started, help Jeannie, why? Um, because I love her. Uh, you know, that's a simple explanation, but that's the truth about it. And, and then because I was helping her out, I found that I was enjoying it. And then something interesting happened after about, we've been doing this for 13 years, and after about five or six, Jeannie was saying, look, you're doing a lot of this, and you're enjoying it, and now you're picking up most of it. And, you know, I was home all those years with the children, and I didn't picture that the years I wanted to travel and see my sister in California and with my oldest granddaughter go to Ireland, that I would be doing this. And I said, go, 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 go. I'm really enjoying this. I can handle it. And then all of a sudden, I was the child caregiver. She would help out around the edges, but I'm doing the school pickup. I'm cooking the after-school meal you know, I'm building the art room in the barn and over there making sure they have the materials. And I revel in it. I mean, yeah. I feel I feel so, um, I don't know how to put this, powerful is not the right word. And in, but I do. I feel powerful. I feel like I finally have control over the best part of my life. And I'm doing something that I don't have any second thoughts about. Whereas everything else is like, wow, you know, there were 40 people here and they... I don't know if they even heard what I was saying, this speaking thing, oh, man, and another book <laughs> thing. And yeah. this, oh, I don't know about it, you know, and there's always something you, better you could be doing. And honestly, if you said to me, look, two lines are forming, and Oprah will have you on for your book. She had me on for another book. But mm -hmm. you're going to miss the mouse funeral tonight with Nora, and she's not – you're never going to hear this little song she'll sing – I, I got to tell you, in all honesty, I, I, I'd bail. I would be there listening to the mouse song because at this point in my life, this is the stuff that makes me. And also, you know, with a lot less time ahead of me than behind me, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not 
one for wasting much time on the bullshit anymore. It's like, you know what? This is going to last. I love this. Why would I mess around going off and doing something? So, you know, COVID suits me fine because, see, here I'm doing this interview with you on the phone today, Elizabeth. Um, if I had to drive to Maine and do this in person in the studio and all the way back, and it was like, you know, you, you were going to pick up Nora today at the Pierce Littlefield Farm where she's been with the school all day and hang around with her and the kids and the animals for a half an hour after you pick her up and come home. Wow, you're going to miss that and you always love this. I don't know about this radio thing, you know. Yep. I'd be like, oh, I don't know. So it suits me fine being stuck at home in COVID because now I can I do this now because, you know, it's not the pickup school pickup time. It's not when I want to be in bed with Jeannie. It's not when I want to cook tonight. I can fit it in. But huge times away from home or commuting in each direction for two hours a day, forget it. Yep. We've been there and done that. And that's why we we moved to Maine from California and a whole bunch of things. So completely get get it. What do you think that conversation looks like for people? Like teach us something in terms of like, if you're listening to this and this show's resonating with you, but you don't quite know how, like, how do I, I hear you, Frank, but how, how am I going to do that? Well, What's the how? The, 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 the easy, cheap answer and the one that's going to sound very self-serving is buy my book and really read it because people don't read anymore. Yeah. But if you read my book and you take a pencil with you and you underline some things that you can do, you're going to go away knowing a lot more about how to construct a life around connection with people, even if it's nothing to do with kids. Let's just say you're a teacher. Let's say you teach piano. Let's say you want to connect with your lover. You know, you're gay. You're non-binary. It doesn't matter. If you, if you read a book that shows you how to put human connection ahead of what this world around us calls success, which actually is just shareholder profits in some form, in which you are the sacrificial lamb, okay, that is success. And that's what Harvard Business School teaches. It's what mm-hmm. your local church teaches because they're all about money too. Uh, my book says something different. So it's gonna, it will encourage you to try some different things. So that's the how-to. Read my book and, and underline parts of it. And then email me and ask me questions because we can communicate about it. But I guess the big, 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 basic, basic, basic takeaway is stop and think for a minute. Just stop what you're doing and think for a minute about one question. And then keep thinking about it and revisiting it. Ask yourself, how do I define the word success? What does success look like to me? Is it hopes and dreams predicated upon income, position, and power? Or is success measured by the quality of the relationships you have, as in the quality of care you receive? Forget just giving care, the care you're receiving from other human beings. Have you built relationships around you in which you are receiving the care you need to not be lonely, to not be isolated, to not be frightened? No matter what life throws at you, you're in a position of closeness with the people around you. And if you're not, how would you get that way? And then the other way to put it is, you know, what mirror do you use to judge success by? You know, is your best mirror the size of your paycheck, the title of your job, the name of the company you work for, your income, the stuff you own? Is that your mirror? Is that what you, is that what you want to see reflected? And in, in my book, I guess I would put it this way somewhat fancifully, and that is that the only real mirror in your life that's going to count, that'll count when you're 70 or 16 or 80 or 100, is a different mirror, and that is what you see written in the faces and in the eyes of the people who love you and know you best. And what you see there 
if you're a young, stupid father like I was at 18, 19, 20, harsh and mean and dumb and bossing my wife around, is fear and sorrow and like, ooh, I made a mistake marrying this guy and kids who cry because they're fearful of the severity because they've done something stupid and you're going to scream at them. What I see written in the eyes of my grandchildren today and what I see in the eyes of Jeannie, thank God, is unconditional love and trust and gladness. And I walk into a room and I'm greeted by smiles. Here comes somebody who's on my side. And declarations, crazy declarations of love from from Nora, who thinks in sort of world philosophical historical terms for some crazy reason. She's a really unique child. And I I said to her, you know, I'm going to love you forever. And she looks at me and says, I'll I'll love you to the end of time, she tells me. And then I say to her, that's how I I feel too. And then here's the novel when you're not going to believe this, Elizabeth. This was last week. She says to me, she pauses and is trying to think of the biggest way she can say it. And this will really blow your mind. Um, It sounds like something out of Greek philosophy. She says, I am even going to love you after the last death. Oh, yeah. What the where does what planet did this child land from? She's like an angel. You know, I'm going to be loved after the last death. I mean, that imagines there's not just a death, but there's a final end of everything kind of death. And she's that's what she meant. She said, I'm going to love yeah. you even after the last death. Okay. Now, I just want to ask you something. You know, I've had some good reviews of my books. And the morning I saw one of my books on a bestseller list in the New York Times, I got a huge charge out of it for about 20 minutes. But on my deathbed, what do you think I'm going to cling to more? A seven-year-old little girl who trusts and loves me unconditionally yep. and remember that she's going to love me past the last death or some stupid review I got 30 years ago that made my day for two minutes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the deal, isn't it? See, so it's yeah, it is. In that's what counts. Why, why do you think people need um... – often need, I'm not going to say all the time need, but often need like a medical wake-up call to realize this. It's like one of the most common things we see on Best Ever You is a medical wake-up call. Like, I've had a wake-up call, it's medical, and I've got to change my life now. And the other thing is, why do you think people in general feel entitled to time? Entitled to time that we don't have. You know, I think I mentioned this to you the other day when we were doing our podcast that my wife, Jeannie, about a month ago now had a little heart attack. Yeah. And when she was coming out of anesthesia after she had her stent put in, and thank God everything turned out fine. It was about a two-hour procedure. I asked her if she was scared, and she says, yes, I was very nervous. Yeah. And then suddenly I felt overwhelmed by gratitude, and I said, for what? And she said, for the wonderful life I've had. And I thought that's where everybody wants to be. But then, as I think I mentioned to you the other day when we were talking, the subtext of that, which you wouldn't know unless you had been with us when – Jeannie was first married to this stupid young man who threw his weight around and was so dumb and bossy and so sure of himself on everything, um, was that that was another, that was between the lines, what I was hearing is I forgive you, because she's describing a whole life arc as good and being grateful for it. And that includes the steps we had to take together to get to that moment, if you see what I'm saying. In other words, Mm -hmm. it wasn't all good. And so, and so basically for the wisdom of a woman who's 70, because Jeannie's 70 now, um, her wisdom is manifest in understanding that the, that tough journey was part of the arc of a wonderful life she's grateful for, you know. Uh, and, and we all know that because there are mistakes we've made and there's things we've done and shame that we bear. And 
all, all this nonsense about you have to forgive yourself is fine, but that doesn't actually take away the reality of the fact that if you're honest, there's things we would do differently. But there's another story, too, and I love this uh, idea, and that is that I, I'm not so hot on the idea of forgiving yourself at all costs, like, hey, you know, I can, I'm fine with all this. No, I'm not fine with things that I've done. But there's another way to look at it, and that is, if you're happy sitting right where you are today, Elizabeth, coughing with your post-COVID thing, but, you know, having a little radio show with me, doing mm-hmm. our thing, you've got your husband and your children, there was no other path to this moment you are happy with than the one you took, and that includes your mistakes and sorrows. Yep. And so sure when I think back my life, as what I'm most grateful for, this will sound odd, but it's my failures, because some of my best laid plans that I thought at the time would solve problems and be the one thing that I want to do and so on, had they worked out as planned or as desired, it would have been a disaster. And I see that in hindsight. So I'm so glad for the closed doors where things didn't go my way because I was not smart enough to see it at the time or, or humble enough or whatever it might be. There's some flaw there. And, Thank God, you know, that you get saved by the fact you don't always get what you want. So part of the part of the wisdom, I guess, comes in understanding that if you're happy in the moment you're in now, then you couldn't have gotten there any other way. Because even if you changed the bad things and did them differently, you wouldn't be where you are now. So it's yeah. an odd it's an odd way to see it's an odd way to see one's history with honest regret and and apologies to people you've harmed and hurt on the way through. But at the same time, you don't cancel your whole life because you've you've ruined some bits of it. That makes such sense. Thank you for that. I I hope everybody replays that a few times and listens to that again because it's wise, for sure. Um, what's what's something that you w- wished would have gone right that didn't? That I mean, like a, talk in like a book or a project terms. Like, what's something that you just oh you just wished it had worked and was the best selling thing ever or whatever? Just like one thing. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's some some of the feature films I made. Um, I'm glad they didn't work because I'm glad I wound up earning my living as a yeah. writer. It's a better it's a better way to live. But taken for themselves, I wish I had said no to the shitty scripts and had been less desperate to make it in the business and held out for a better script or two. Because I had it in me to to make a, a couple decent movies at some point. I would have liked to have walked away with something that I be talking about today and want to show you rather than joking about and saying, hey, you know, these were kind of crappy. Uh, Making a movie is a lot of work. I mean, you're sitting there doing night shoots for days on end. You're in the editing room. Uh, In the the B-movie part of the business, you're not getting paid much. You're away from home and so on. And at the end of the day, it would have been nice to walk away with a reel that I'm as proud of as, say, I am of my novel Portofino, which is 40 years old, and I'm as proud of it today as when it was published. Interestingly enough, just as a sidetrack thing here, Elizabeth, that I think you'll resonate mm-hmm. with. Um, the big difference between nonfiction and fiction for me is that in my novels, though I, years later I revisit this, and I hope I've become, you know, as the years have gone on, you perfect your craft as a writer, I wouldn't change anything. Whereas a nonfiction book of opinion, since life's yeah. a journey, your opinions will change. And a year later you're saying, gee, I could have, I don't know if I believe that anymore. At Ten years later, it's like I wouldn't have even written this book. So it's odd <laughs> yeah. because non-fiction, non-fiction, non-fiction supposedly is about the real world and quote-unquote truth. 
And yet as the years go by, you grow past what you believed so firmly at one point, perhaps, <laughs> in maybe not the whole thing, but the details, or you've learned more, or you put it differently. Whereas fiction, a good story is a good story, you know. And so my, my novels, Portofino, Saving Grandma Zermatta, the Calvin Becker trilogy, you know, I stand by those, and I'm proud of them, and I'm pleased they worked out, and I wished everything I did in life held up that well, and people love them, and they're great books. But um, the nonfiction books I look back on say my memoir, Crazy for God, I'm very, I really like it. I think it's good. I recommend it. I, I, you know, I'm certainly not ashamed of it. But, of course, you know, I'll just give you one detail. Trump becomes president partly because of the stuff my family did in the evangelical religious right of melding the Republican Party together. Okay. I would have said more about the dangers we presented to the country rather than just passing over because, hey, the way it turned out, man, I, the book needs five more chapters. Well, maybe you, maybe you add on. You know, I, I'm thinking about your Hollywood stuff and, you know, never say never because you got more in you. I think, you know, I, I wanted to share, if you don't mind, can I just share with you about my dad a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Okay. So, so my dad, it was ex-Hollywood. And a screenwriter, screen reader, screen everything, movie director, um, and he he was a stroke survivor from 2004 to 2018. Um, they called him yeah. the ICU warrior, and he was amazing. But prior to all of that, he's always been a book writer, a screenwriter, movie director, everything. And um, he quit Hollywood. Um, he was a Minnesota kid in Oka, Minnesota, left the farm, went to Hollywood sat next to people that, you know, rubbing elbows with people, had an agent, did all this, had the movie Chance, discovered Bruce Davidson. I mean, so many things. And um, he left it all to um, marry my mom. And I'm in the middle of 11 kids. And his, yeah. <laughs> he, he, has, he had a lot of movies in him. And uh, he ended up uh, owning and operating the movie stores of Iowa and Illinois, which was a video rental business. Okay. They went to the sure. VHS convention every, you know, all this stuff every year. But um, just that Hollywood connection, I hear you because he said the same thing. He was like, I've got a movie in me still. Anyway, he, um, we published one of his movies, I guess you would call, before he passed away. So we got to see his movie in book format called Presidential Prey. And it's a good book. Yeah. Um, and like, I want to make that into a movie <laughs> so much. Yeah, well, what you meant. Yeah. So, don't, you know, I love the fact, is it still a goal of yours to make movies? Do you like having you know movies still? Because I, I love it when goals are out loud. I, I would much rather see a good, a good director producer team, op, you know, mm -hmm. option one of my novels like Portofino, which has been optioned before. It's almost been made a couple of times. In fact, there's even a Penguin paperback edition out that says now major motion picture that all then fell apart. But it was nothing to do with me. I wasn't trying to direct them. That was just other people. I'm not sure I'm up for jumping in, but I'd like to see that part of it. Let me ask you a question now. You, you've got a book coming out in March, I think it is, pretty soon, mm -hmm. right? Yep, the change what, guidebook. Tell it, just talk about it a little bit. Well, it's it's basically the ten steps of change that people go through to make change in their lives, either intentionally or through an unforeseen circumstance. And along the yeah. way, it's a it's kind of a redefined success book as well, from your heart, your truth, and your energy. Because I just really believe that you have to think with your heart. You need to be authentic, and you're going to go where you put your energy. And kind of that caveat of that time component of not being entitled to time. 
So your moments matter, yeah. and you need to spend your time wisely. And, uh, yeah, I but I that. really think. Love. Do you have that line in your book that you're not entitled to time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, definitely. That's a good line. I yeah, love that. You definitely are not entitled to not entitled to time. But I really think that when you align your heart, your truth, and your energy, in, in other words, how you mm-hmm. manage your time, you can do anything. Yeah. I yeah. really, really, I really believe that. What's the title of the book going to be? So it's the Change Guidebook, How to Align Your yeah. Heart, Truth, and Energy to Find Success in All Areas of Your Life. And again, yeah, it's so kind of got change. like that success in quotes. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm in oh, line with great. the way and you so are. going to come out. Um, can you send me an advanced copy so I can look at it? Because when, when it comes out in March, we'll, we'll book you for a podcast on my mm-hmm. In Conversation with Frank Schaefer, which, by the way, for people listening to this, I have a podcast called In Conversation with Frank Schaefer. Yesterday, I interviewed someone you'd find very interesting, and you may know her book, Fair Play, by Eve Rodsky, who's just uh, written this book called The Game-Changing Solution for When You Have Too Much to Do and More Life to Live. And Eve is someone who's gone on and done big things. She's a, a lawyer that handles a lot of foundations, and it's, I think her book was number one bestseller on the New York Times list when it came out, but it's got like 990 reviews on Amazon, averaging four, four stars, which is pretty good, given that she's got That's a bunch awesome. of thug, thug trolls who have sort of, you know, you can just see who they are, you know, some men on the yeah. sidelines kind of mocking the book because she talks about shared responsibilities with child care and stuff. But anyway, I interviewed Eve, and then next week I'm interviewing Representative Ted Lieu, who's the second and third most senior Democrat in the House, and we talked to Moby and Andre DePuce Jr., the writer, and, um, you know, on and on and on. So we have, a, we have a good podcast. I do one or two a week, and um, it's just in conversation with Frank Schaefer for people who want to hear more. And you will be listening to Elizabeth in March or April uh-huh. talking about her new book. You. Thank you. I'm going to promote your podcast on besteveryou.com if you don't mind, because those sound like oh, really please. interesting sure. conversations. Yeah, and by the way, just personally, Elizabeth, let's pretend where it's just you and me for a minute. You're you're going to be yeah. fascinated by this talk I had with with Eve um, Rodsky. She's yeah, she's a she's a crazily dynamic and wonderfully thoughtful woman, and uh, uh, just un- unbelievable. And her book is really good too. So, um, uh, you, you know, you would enjoy it. I read it to promote. Uh, I mean, to, so I could intelligently talk to her. But um, I'm glad I did. But anyway. Yeah. So the podcast well, maybe she'd like to come on Best Ever You too. I'll I'll help out with her book. I love yeah, I love. Should, yeah. I'm gonna go. Okay, so we've got just like ten, maybe five ten minutes left. Can we go back yeah. to your book for a minute and just um, what's what's some what's a favorite part of your book? Like, do, can you do that? <laughs> it's really hard to do, I think, sometimes because you go all yeah, of it. My, but my favorite my favorite part parts of the book are to do with the fact that I have changed. In other words, I think a lot of people write these books on how to do something almost from a position of success as if they have something wonderful that they've figured out from their own life. My book is a book about failure and what I learned from it and how I changed my life because of it. And it's, it's, it's in essence, a, a different book because in a sense, it's confessional. So, you know, for me, my, the favorite parts of the book are the books, the bits of the book, for instance, I have a whole chapter on feminism where I have really charted the course from somebody who was on the religious right and misogynistic in their views to someone who has a very different point of view today, not based on some emotional reaction, 
But two things. First of all, I love Jeannie, and you know that's enough of a yeah. reason for me to do more stuff. And then, um, in in addition to that, uh, I've learned, and and I'm I've gotten away from the conditioning that um, I grew up with, and have have just come to a very very different position. So I think the favorite parts of my book are the ones that are the most personal, in the sense that it's something I'm getting off my chest. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a big relief to confess. Hey, and just say, I was wrong. Not, hey, if this offends you, I'm sorry. None of that crap. No, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I'm trying to make amends here. I pushed fake family values in the 70s and 80s. Here's the real deal. Um, It's only taken me a lifetime to learn this. I've got about two minutes left on the clock here, and I'm using it to pass back along the line, those who are still coming up the path. Here's what I learned. I can save you a lot of trouble. (laughs) If you just want to listen for two minutes you know, before this old guy steps off the stage. So it's a book that's not written from a point of view of selling anything in that, you know, I have a very clear idea of where I'm at, but I did learn some things from my mistakes. And and I think I can save people a lot of trouble when it comes to relationships. We have a guy who just uh, texted us. Um, His name is Tom. And he wants to ask you a question um, about, yeah, he wants advice. Uh, for for the struggle to balance work and family because it's a struggle for him. Wife, his yeah. wife is at home. He is the primary uh, breadwinner, um, is what he wrote, yeah. and he would love some advice of maybe one to two things that he could do to spend more time with his family. Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say is thank you for the question. And secondly, we all need our income. We all need jobs. We all need to pay bills. So there's no sort of anti-career bias with me that somehow you – you know, go rob banks or find it miraculously dropping from heaven, you need to do what you're doing. I would say here's the encouraging thing that I've learned as the years go by, and that is life has very distinct stages, and they're all shorter than you thought they were going to be. So when you talk to young parents, the, the, the way they phrase their questions, I'm not saying this gentleman's a young parent, but I'm giving you an, an example. As if somehow these years of how do I balance work and life when I have a toddler who's not in school, preschool, the, the way they phrase the questions is from a point of view of almost desperation, as in how do we get through this, as if it was going to last forever. But in hindsight, the little, little child years go by in a heartbeat. So there was a big chunk of time when my wife was at home with our children, um, and I was the quote-unquote breadwinner. Then there was a reversal of fortune when my stuff was falling to pieces after I left Hollywood, and Jeannie was piecing it together. Uh, working from home um, in a, with a small publishing company. Uh, and, and so I would just say, if you had asked me in the earlier years how to do something, um, I would have, I guess, given the wrong answer because I'd be trying to answer the same way when a parent says to me, hey, you've had all these kids. How, how, you know, tell me about how, sh- how you should educate my child. Should they go to private school or homeschool or should I, should I send them to the local public school and try to supplement whatever its deficiencies are? And my first question is to them, well, tell me about your child, because there's no good answer unless you know the child. And now tell me about the teacher they would have next year in the school, because it has nothing to do with the school. It has to do with the teacher. And I would give the same kind of answer in terms of how do you balance work and life. I would say, first of all, don't be discouraged. There are lots of stages to life. Your kids are not going to be the age they are always now. Your wife's ambitions are going to change. She's going to want, you know, her 
her unicorn moment as a as a as a way to metaphor to say you know what you would dream to do might not be something that brings money in maybe it's something she's always wanted to do and she's going to want some some release on that and and if you love her you're going to try to make sure that happens and then lastly don't box yourself in by taking the norm around you that everybody's doing this so i guess i have to as well sometimes there's a way to change things you take a cut in income you can stay home more and you know if you have a loving relationship and basically you get up every day trying to make that person happy i know it's a duh kind of no-brainer but weirdly you know you'll be very happy so the first thing to do is find out what your wife wants to do and what will make her happy and the funny thing is those things usually work out pretty well it's when we get in trouble is when we're trying to make ourselves happy first and then we find out we're unhappy because we've made the person we're living with unhappy so you know, there's no one there's no one solution for this. But if you want to be happy, make the person you're living with happy, and that's the okay. reason to do things. Find out what she wants, and then realize life is a long road. And any stage you're at right now, preteen kids, teenagers, kids in college, no kids at all, it's going to be very short. Uh, we all have a long lifespan these days. You know, we're not entitled to time, as Elizabeth wisely says. But that said, um, you know, it isn't as if what we're doing now. It's going to last any longer than another couple of years or two minutes or three minutes, figuratively speaking. So don't get discouraged because, um, you know, the pattern of your life is going to change at some point. And if, if you're really working hard to make the partner you're with happy, um, things are going to work out okay. We have another question. Do you have time? Sure. One more? Okay. So we have a question from Mary. Um, and I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit. But Mary feels pressured to – have the job and put the children in daycare because that's what her peer group does these days. Um, it's a bunch of working moms and stay-at-home mom. Uh, they make fun of the stay-at-home moms. Yeah, and I would just tell the Mary, hang in there and do what your heart tells you because you mm-hmm. will never regret the time you've had with your children. I mean, I have lots of regrets in life, Mary. I was too harsh to my wife when we were first married. Thank God she stuck with me and changed me, and I changed for her. I wasn't with my kids enough. I'll tell you what, I've never regretted, never, all right? And I speak for everyone now who is not a sociopath or a per- crazy person. <laughs> what you will never regret is the energy you put into the relationships that mean most to you and those around you. You will never regret that. So they're totally wrong. Anybody that says that, that spending time with your children is, a, is silly and somehow you ought to be pursuing a career is an idiot. Basically, they don't learn that what I've just been telling the gentleman who asked the question, life is long. This is one stage. Your kids aren't going to be little forever. Look, my daughter is the CEO of a company in New York that, is a, a, that, that does energy investment all over the globe. She raised her kids first. She was, at home. She was a stay-at-home mom in Finland, in Europe, for five and a half, six years, and then finished college over there because she had dropped out of NYU to get married young. Everybody thought she was nuts, and now they ask her. She's 50 years old. She's a CEO of a company in, in New York, mm-hmm. um, and people ask her, how did you do this? And she says, I learned more from being a stay-at-home mom with my children than I ever did from anything I've ever done in business. If you can manage a home and be a good mother, you can do anything. And that's, that's not a cheap answer. She really means it, and people get shocked, and they don't want to hear it because it's not the cool thing to do where you're supposed to strive, 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 and then maybe wait to have a family. So, look, you're, if your kids are at the age now where they need you at home with them 
and you want to do that, this is the best thing you can be doing for them and for yourself. Your friends are wrong. But what you need to tell your friends is, look, life's a long business. Of course, when my kids are grown up or grown or older or when I feel that these years have passed, I'm going to be doing other things. I have dreams and things I want to do. They may not even be related to career. Maybe it's just stuff you've wanted to do. You know, like I built Genius a sewing room construction table for her 50th birthday, so she has a place to really lay her stuff out and do cool. stuff. That's her sort of unicorn moment. You know, so I would just say to all these people that give you one pass, tell them to shut up and shove it, and you're living your life, and get out there <laughs> yeah. and do what your heart tells you. And I swear to you up and down, you will never regret spending time with your family. Tough for people who have this other weird idea. That may not be their plan either. They have made, they've been conditioned to think this way through college, through high school. Go, 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 go. You can do both. You can't have it all. Listen carefully to this because I really have thought about it. You cannot have it all because usually what they mean is all at the same time. But you can have it all if you are willing to live your life in sensible stages so that you can have children and be home with them and a career. Now, I'm not talking about financial necessity because I don't know what your necessity is. I can't, there's no magic solution. You need to pay the bill. Someone's got to earn the money. I'm talking about the ambition part. You can have it all, but you can only have it all in stages. So if you want to be home with your kids and have a successful career, you have to pick and choose and do one or the other for a while but it's not the end of the world because the kids are only preschool and little for a flash, and it's a tiny little moment. So, Isn't it? you know, they grow and change, and then you move on to the next stage. So hang in there and do your thing. Mary, that's really wise advice from Frank. I agree completely. And stages is I, – I love talking to you. That's how I've tried to operate is like stages. It's like, okay, here's – because I'll tell you, when I dropped our youngest – our oldest one off at college, it was like a – a movie flash, like where did all that time just go? Like it was so wild. It's like, wait a minute, how are you in college? And then it's almost like time speeds up. It's just bizarre. Um, So anyway, thank you for that. All right. We have two minutes left. I have absolutely thoroughly enjoyed having you on our show today. You're so wise and so well-spoken and have such great advice and your book is wonderful for anybody listening it's called fall in love have children stay put save the planet be happy and it is available wherever books are sold um i love i love the reviews you're getting on amazon and it really is meaningful to authors to put in constructive positive reviews it's kind of like one of those things if you don't have something nice to say don't say it so positive yeah. reviews help us authors out there on Amazon and um, and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and wherever books are sold these days. But um, it's really um, it's really a game changer this book, and I'm really glad you took the time to write this. I know it took you a while, and it's it's a great book. So thank you. The world needs you. Well, thank you, thank you, Elizabeth, for your kindness today. And I'd say to people listening, um, you know, if you want to get in touch with me. If you put a, on your email to me that you heard me on Elizabeth's show, you know, Mary, whomever else is out there with questions and doing things, let me know. It's just my name with the middle initial A, Frank A. Schaefer at AOL.com, Frank A. Schaefer at AOL.com. And I've got a Gmail account for business and stuff, but I'm giving you my family account number so I can't answer you because mm-hmm. I'm – Elizabeth, I can't imagine that your listeners involve anybody that I won't want to talk to. I think you're such a nice person yourself. You probably draw very lovely listeners. We love we love our Best Ever You Network and our listeners. And, again, we, we are gr- completely grassroots with several million downloads now. 
And um, that's because of you guys. When our when our guests come on here, you guys embrace them and love them and buy their books and sh- tell somebody that you read it and all that good stuff. So we're super grateful for you all. Um, Frank, thanks for being here. We we appreciate it and best of luck with your books and and um, give your give your kids and grandkids big hugs from all of us at Best Ever You. They're so cute. And I, I wait will. to meet Nora. When you quit coughing, she'll come down and do a mouth funeral for you. Bring your dead animals. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Lots of love, everybody. Thank you, Frank all right. and, and Jeannie. All right. Take Thanks care, everybody. Thanks for, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We're so glad you tuned in. Be brave, be bold, be you. And remember to visit us at besteveryou.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.